Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Jane Seymour. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. Like us on Facebook, email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com or sign up for bonus content at Patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor. Now, as you have heard, today we are reviewing Jane Seymour, the third of the six wives of King Henry VIII. Unlucky for some. Unlucky number three, classically said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it took us five episodes to do Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, but we're back to normal with Jane one episode, biography and review, all in one. Lovely. Biography! Jane Seymour was born in about 1508, as ever the exact date is not recorded. Really? Daughter of Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth, most likely born at the Seymour Manor of Wolf Hall. Oh! You know I like that, Graham. From her mother, she could trace her descent to Edward III, meaning that Jane Seymour and Henry VIII are fifth cousins. Ugh. Right. Technically within consanguinity, etc. Needs a dispensation. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's way off. The Seymours are an ancient, if unremarkable, noble dynasty, um, originating from the French village of Saint-Maur-sur-Loire. So the Saint-Maur bit, over time, became corrupted to become Seymour. Oh, yeah. So I can see that. Yep. They came to England through Wido Saint-Maur, who was a companion of William the Conqueror in 1066, and he receives a barony across Somerset, Wiltshire and Gloucestershire. Other than uh, another chap, Milo Sanmore, who's one of the barons pushing King John to agree to Magna Carta, the Seymours never really feature as significant figures on the national level. Mm. Good. That's, but that's my cup of tea. Keep your head down. Get on with it. Yeah. Die. Jane's father, Sir John Seymour, was a bit more prominent. He was knighted by Henry VII on the battlefield after helping defeat the Cornish rebels in the Battle of Blackheath. He is appointed a knight of the Bath at Prince Arthur's wedding uh, with Catherine of Aragon, and then he serves alongside King Henry VIII in the Battle of the Spurs and attends the great Anglo-French summits of Henry's reign, so the Field of Cloth of Gold in 1520 and uh, the meeting at Calais in 1532. Despite this, though, John Seymour remains still kind of a peripheral figure at court, so he's someone that's known to the king, but is, again, probably more focused on his local responsibilities rather than big national affairs. Yeah, but he sounds like a bigger cheese than his previous... Generations. Yeah, bigger cheese than many of his predecessors, but he's still not there right at the heart of everything that's going on. Sensible. Jane is one of ten children to her parents. Uh, three boys and three girls survive to adulthood. Wow. Unfortunately, we know very little 
about her upbringing that it seems to have been a bit more parochial than normal. So a girl of her status would usually have been sent to a neighbouring residence at the age of about seven or eight and then would later marry into a suitable gentry family. But instead, Jane seems to have just remained at home, probably educated by her mother and a local chaplain. So as such, her education is rather more limited than that of Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. So she's literate, but not in Latin. And her main focus is on domestic skills, such as household management and needlework, in which apparently she excelled. <laughs> um, is that because they were... Um, well, I suppose you don't know exactly why, but they were um, less important she would if she's she's not the first born boy so we don't know her date of birth that's the thing she's just a pawn in their slightly less important games yes but also perhaps it might be a little bit of family circumstances even though the fact that she's lower down the pecking order even for sort of gentry in the country you'd expect her to be going to these places um and her domestic education doesn't help her find a husband so it may be because of her father's financial difficulties that some of her circumstances a bit more limited he had to ask henry for a remission on a loan in 1523 and did he give it uh yes he he got the hmm. he got the remission but that's when jane's about 15 so i guess probably at the point at which she might have been expected to be trying to find her a husband so if he's not in a position hmm. to pay his debts he's not in a position to provide a good dowry for her yeah I see. Now, she first appears on the national radar, though not to a great extent, in 1529 when she's appointed a lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon. Okay. How was that decided, by the way? Was she friends with Catherine of Aragon or was it just someone who wouldn't cause trouble? That's the thing. It's not really clear how this comes about because her father and her brothers aren't really senior enough to just secure her this kind of role. So perhaps she's visited court earlier on and if she has a reputation for piety and domesticity, these are all things that might have appealed to Catherine of Aragon. Uh, it's a turbulent time to join Catherine's household, of course, though, because that's when we have the King's Great Matter, where Henry VIII is trying to divorce Catherine and marry instead Anne Boleyn. So when Catherine's queenship formally ends in 1533, Jane is then transferred to the new Queen's household of Anne Boleyn, along with her younger sister Elizabeth Seymour. Wow, OK, so she was thrown into Catherine's reign yeah. during the, the business, and then... So she knows... Exactly what she's in for. She's seen the story told from the other point of view all the Mm. way through. Yes. God, blimey, she still said yes. (laughs) Um, Now, although Jane and her family seem to have been sympathetic to Catherine of Aragon, Anne doesn't seem to have considered Jane's appointment problematic for that reason, Mm. Uh, though, of course, she would be proved quite dramatically wrong. Hmm though not perhaps for the reasons that you might have imagined. It's at some point after her joining Anne's household that she catches the eye of Henry VIII, though again, we're not quite sure when. So one option is in 1534, when the Spanish ambassador uh, used to Shapwee heard that Anne and Henry had clashed after Henry stopped Anne removing from court a lady he had taken a shine to. Which is presumably her. Well, so the name is unknown, and Shapwee didn't know the name either, but this lady's alleged sympathy for Henry's daughter Mary has seen Jane being speculated, because we will see Jane later demonstrates that she is sympathetic to Mary's cause. So she a Catholic then? Uh, yeah, or so certainly yeah, conservative in her well, in all things really, but yes, including religion. Mm, okay. The problem with this though is that when her relationship with Henry is definitely fully underway in 1536, there's no mention anywhere of their having had a prior relationship two years earlier. Which right. seems odd. So it seems unlikely mm. that she would have 
kind of had this thing with Henry, he forgets about it and then remembers and nobody else has remembered, even though it's mentioned. So Yeah, and he wants to then suddenly marry her. Yeah, so maybe not. Now, many assume that the spark, therefore, must have been lit in 1535 when Henry VIII visited Wolf Hall just nine months before Jane became queen. <laughs> Sounds like... <laughs> That's, yeah. that's before she became queen, not before any, oh, other, I see. Uh, any other business. Oh, I see. Now, it, it, it sort of feels like this must have been a turning point. It can't be a coincidence. And indeed, in historical fiction, this is often a key moment. Mm. Uh, but as Dermot McCulloch has described it, Wolf Hall is now a name shrieking hindsight. So we don't actually know if Jane was even there for Henry's visit. And even if she was, she probably would have been there just as one of Anne's ladies rather than a member of the household that Henry would have paid any special attention to. But she'd still, I mean, she'd still have, he'd still could have seen her if she was a lady-in-waiting or... But he would have done, but he already has done. He's already seen her. He already knows who she is. He'd already seen her because she's at court all the time. So there's no particular reason if she's just a lady to Anne, why he'd notice her at Wolf Hall as opposed to anywhere else. Because she wouldn't have right. been there as John Seymour's daughter. She'd have been there as Anne's lady. Mm, okay. Instead, actually, that visit probably was more significant for the continued elevation of her oldest brother, Edward Seymour, who was coming into favour with Henry VIII and also seems to have been marked as a coming man by Thomas Cromwell, the chief minister. Right. So it's probably not until about January 1536 that Henry really takes an interest in Jane. Uh, So this is when Anne is pregnant for the last time and a period in which Henry is like to dally with other ladies while his wife is unavailable. Mm. Shapwee first mentions her the following month in February, noting that Henry had been making much of a lady of the court named Mistress Semmel, to whom many say he has lately made great presents. They really have struggled with this name, don't they? Yes. Some more, some mel. Who's that? Was that um, Chapuis? This is Chapuis, so in fairness, a little bit yeah. maybe lost in translation yeah. for him. However, even at this stage, there's little to suggest that this is really anything more than Henry just indulging in courtly love. Mm. He's just having a bit of fun while Anne's pregnant, or, or just after she's pregnant, I suppose, by February. Chapuis hears in, indeed a rumour that Henry's planning to marry a French princess. So right. if he does get rid of Anne, he's not really particularly interested in any current mistress. He's got his eyes set on someone a bit more prestigious. So the question then is how and why does he actually end up choosing Jane? And this is mm. something that not just historians, but also even contemporaries found quite a hard question to answer because Jane presents as being distinctly unremarkable. Right. Maybe that's what he needs, though, after Anne. Goodness. Well, yeah. So Shapwee described her as of middle stature and no great beauty, so fair that one would call her rather pale than otherwise. She is over 25 years old, not a woman of great wit, but she may have good understanding. She is said to be rather proud and haughty. And has a beautiful mouth. (laughs) And a beautiful mouth. Uh, As David Starkey has put it, how a woman like Jane Seymour became Queen of England is a mystery. In Tudor terms, she came from nowhere and was nothing. What was there here, a woman of no family, no beauty, no talent, and perhaps not much reputation, to attract a man who had already been married to two such extraordinary women as Catherine and Anne? Yeah, it makes me think it was love. Well, and indeed, as you said, it perhaps is the fact that it's the contrast is maybe what appealed so she's fair, where Anne was uh, dark-haired, gentle, while Anne's very assertive, 
of no great wit, Shapri says, and quite modest, whereas Anne was had a very sharp tongue, as self self assured. So if Henry's falling out of love with Anne, and particularly if Anne's personality perhaps wasn't proving such a good fit as Queen Consort, then the opposite of Anne would make sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. He's very um Oh dear old Henry, he's very black and white in many ways, isn't he? <laughs> Try the opposite tack. Even so, uh, even if he is, you know, uh, the uh, the opposite appeals to him. No matter how no matter how virtuous it was to be quiet and ordinary, Jane still needed to do something to light the spark in Henry's heart. Uh, mm. And indeed, she actually borrows really directly from Anne's own playbook. So Henry in March sends Jane a purse full of sovereigns, along with a letter that may well have contained an invitation to be his mistress. <laughs> how do you phrase that? <laughs> oh, don't actually, because I know exactly what it'll be. It'll be a, a poem or incredibly like, long and I've, florid. Yeah, I've, I've, I, I crossed a bridge with a fork in my hand. Do you know what that means? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we don't know what it actually said because Jane refuses to open the letter. Instead, she bade the messenger take it back, humbly protesting her virtue and family honour, asking that Henry withhold such gifts for such a time as God would be pleased to send her some advantageous marriage. How does she know what's in it then? People who just speculate yeah. really about the letter. We don't actually know exactly what it said. So, um, she, but she knows that something... He he fancies her because he could have been inviting her to a, a hunt or something. Well, they're probably a couple of months in by this point, so it's not like this is the first time they've had any contact. So I guess she probably knows mm. his mind. Yeah, yeah. He may have said something alluding to it. But it's, it's exactly the same tactic that Anne Boleyn used when Henry first pursued her as a mistress. And just as with Anne Boleyn, Henry's passion was said to have marvellously increased and he pledged only to see her in the company of her relations from there okay. on. Right, so he he's impressed by her by her saying no. He's such a idiot, isn't he, Henry? That, that's he only wants what he can't have. He's such a spoiled brat. Yeah. <laughs> but once again, like Anne, Jane has basically said marriage or nothing. Yeah, forget it, mate. So Jane now has momentum, and Anne's enemies start to coalesce around Jane. Uh, chief among these is Nicholas Carew, who advises Jane both in uh, her own conduct and also in how she can talk Anne down. Mm. Um, also key in this are Thomas Cromwell, uh, who vacates his rooms, uh, which have a private passage to Henry's rooms, uh, to Edward Seymour, Jane's brother, so that Henry can visit Anne, uh, can visit Jane in secret, but also in honour. Uh, okay. Oh, so there's no suggestion that that was for hanky panky. Well, I think again, like Anne Boleyn, I think they probably would have wanted to keep things chaste before marriage. Mm. So Tudor level so. hanky panky of like talking at night with poems and stuff. But it's the balance where, on the one hand, he's doing it in secret, so Anne can't see him, which obviously thus Cromwell is facilitating. So it's all a bit of a a scheme against Anne or for Jane. But equally, the fact that her brother and his wife are there means that. No one, if they do find out, can besmirch Jane's opinion. It's justified. Mm, okay. So, obviously, it all falls apart for Anne Boleyn. So, when she is executed for treason and adultery on the 19th of May, Henry is, by this point, completely smitten with Jane. So impatient, in fact, that he has the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, in- issue a dispensation for him to marry Jane the very same day that Anne is executed. Wow. Why would he need dispensation, then, if she's no longer alive? Because of what I mentioned earlier about the fact that he and Jane are oh. fifth cousins. Right. The following day, they are betrothed, and then on the 30th of May, so just 11 days after Anne Boleyn was executed, 
Henry VIII marries Jane Seymour and Jane becomes Queen of England. God, he um, he just doesn't care, does he? It's so so blatant. So Jane is publicly declared Queen on the 4th of June and makes her first public appearance at the Midsummer Pageants on the 29th of June. Uh, so this marriage, with no questions, finally, over its legality, represents a fresh start both for Henry but also for the country generally. Also, the Seymours, of course, are very quick to reap the benefits. So Edward Seymour becomes Viscount Beauchamp. Thomas Seymour, another brother, becomes a gentleman of the Privy Chamber, while his sister Elizabeth Seymour marries Cromwell's son, Gregory. Oh, right. Oh, that's nice. A fresh start, but nevertheless, not all of the controversies uh, do die with Anne. One of them, of course, is Mary, Henry's daughter. Now, many assume that Mary would return to court after five years of banishment for refusing to accept Henry's uh, supremacy or to accept that she was Mm. illegitimate. However, even with Anne dead, Henry continues to demand her submission. And she's now in an even more dangerous position because she is potentially facing trial for treason if she still refuses i mean i was about to say he wouldn't kill his own daughter but she is under pressure but what has changed with anne's death is that now the new queen jane seymour is on mary's side so she writes to mary at this time most likely encouraging her to make this submission and that is what mary finally does uh, she does make her submission. She accepts the supremacy. She accepts, or at least legally accepts, her own illegitimacy. And Henry is absolutely delighted. And they're finally reunited. What What prompted month. that vault pass? Partly, one might imagine people saying, he really is actually going to cut your head off if you and don't sign this. He just cut us. his wife's head off, so... Chapuy sort of assures so that she can sign this in conscience. And Jane's letter potentially is important, as we see in subjectivity, that Mary's reply does suggest that it was important to her. Okay, because what about the death of her mum? Maybe she doesn't have an ally there anymore. Well, yeah, she is very isolated now. And also with, ironically, with Jane becoming queen, with Anne dead, everyone is quite keen to move on now. Yeah, I guess it's, it's after you've done a whole queen's reign being obstinate for good reason is it is you can you can start afresh now or we're going to go through it all again it's like if this is a tv series that was very much last season's storyline so it's mm. the first it's the first episode of the new series now either you're going to become a character again and do something different or we're just going to yeah. deal with this quite early yeah. on and cut your head off your choice yeah, exactly good analogy but it works and they are as i said reunited the following month um jane is there as well and jane and mary seem to form quite a close friendship after this and uh, mary joins henry and jane for the christmas festivities that year riding with them in a procession through the streets of london is she now legitimate she's not legitimate but she is back at court with the status of being the king's daughter okay it's pretty good Jane is a bit less successful when it comes to interceding on religious matters. As we were saying, she's a mm. traditionalist, so I, a bit more old-school Catholic at heart. So when the dissolution of the monasteries provokes a major uprising in the north, which is known as the Pilgrimage of Grace, Jane throws herself on her knees and implored Henry to restore the abbeys and to pardon those who were marching. She not learnt anything? Well, he is not impressed indeed, and he warns her not to meddle in his affairs and uh, obviously brutally suppresses the rebellion. She's just seen her predecessor have her head cut off. I mean, maybe that's good for battliness. Indeed, this is perhaps a bit of a risky move from Jane because six months into the marriage, she still isn't pregnant. Oh. Which, you know, in, in normal terms isn't a long time, but, you know, Henry's getting on a little bit now. He's into his 40s. He, what are you he saying? Needs, 
needs that son and heir. And some have even speculated that Henry hadn't yet organised her coronation because she hadn't yet been able to conceive a child. That's such pressure. He's maybe thinking, well, I'm not going to put all the honours on you this time. Let's wait until you've yeah, delivered, you're literally. <laughs> Very good. There is, also, to be fair, there's an outbreak of plague that was responsible for the initial <laughs> postponements. They do sort of have dates in the diary and then... It's a good excuse, isn't it? It's not... Uh, trains running late. Plague. Plague. It's coronavirus, yeah. mate. But still, once it's been postponed and once there isn't any child coming along, Henry might be thinking, well, maybe let's just hold off on that for a while and see how mm. it all pans out. So you wonder how long can she remain in favour if a baby doesn't yeah. follow? How, so we're six months in? Yeah, six months in. But thankfully, they don't have to wait for too much longer because by February of 1537, Jane knows that she is pregnant. And Henry, incredibly, joins her on a pilgrimage to Canterbury to give thanks to God and lays offerings at the shrine of Thomas oh, Becket. Right. Huh. Pretty extraordinary given how things are going with the dissolution and indeed the fact that Becket's shrine will be destroyed. Oh, of course. I was going to say that's amazing because uh, he um, is actually bothering to do anything with his wife, like going on a little mini break. But actually, <laughs> it's, um, yeah. that's just another one of Henry's irritating uh, contradictions. So Henry is understandably being ultra-cautious with Jane's pregnancy. So she undertakes no public engagements during the summer and Henry cancels a planned progress to the north, resolving to travel no more than 60 miles from Jane, lest she be distressed at rumours of his <laughs> well-being and take to her stomach such impressions as might engender no little danger or displeasure. Ah, oh, he's so caring in his arrogance. Jane herself seems to be much more concerned about the dangers of the plague <laughs> uh, in London at the time. Jan Hussey commented that you would not believe how much the Queen is afraid of the sickness. <laughs> Chicken? <laughs> what does that mean? Of course she is. I think apparently it was a less serious outbreak than others that they'd had recently, so the mortality wasn't that bad compared to mm. other plague outbreaks. But still, you'd say, yeah, I probably can believe how much anyone, yeah. never mind a pregnant Queen, would be about the fact that there was a plague. Thankfully, though, Jane was not affected uh, directly by the plague, other than the concern. Her main practical worries uh, ended up being that she had a, qua a, quaving, a craving for quail and also for cucumbers, <laughs> which uh, Ma Mary helped to provide for her. Oh, that's nice. In September, Jane enters her confinement at Hampton Court Palace and went into labour on the 11th of October. But after an uneventful pregnancy, it then turned into a very difficult birth, lasting some 30 hours. Mm, gross. Yeah, I mean, just think how many times I would have passed out if it were... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor me. <laughs> Thankfully, though, at two o'clock in the morning on the 12th of October, a healthy child is born, and it is a boy. A girl with a winkle. <laughs> Indeed. Hey. Henry is overjoyed. There are immediate celebrations. Te Deums sung in every church in London by 8 o'clock that night. Bonfires are lit and the guns of the Tower of London are firing well into the night. Brilliant. Sounds great. The boy is christened Edward Obvious. a few days later, after which he is brought to Jane's bedchamber for his parents to give, uh, their, to give their blessings. Jane is swaddled in fur and velvet while Henry is in full royal regalia and he takes edward in his arms tears running down his face finally having son and heir after 28 years on the throne everything seems perfect wow 28 years 
Tragically, however, not everything is perfect. Initially, Jane was thought to have covered well from the Labour, but her condition then sharply deteriorates. On the 19th of October, there was a procession to St Paul's to pray for her recovery, and although she initially seemed to rally, on the 23rd she went suddenly downhill, suffering from a natural lax, uh, meaning a heavy bleeding. On the 24th, the Duke of Norfolk wrote to Thomas Cromwell, urging him to come as soon as possible. To comfort our good master, for as our mistress there is no likelihood of her life, the more pity, and I fear she shall not be alive at the time you shall read this. And indeed, sadly, there was nothing to be done, and Jane Seymour died late into the night, just 12 days after the birth of her son, at the age of just 29. Oh, God, that's... That is tragic. There's been much debate as to what caused Jane's tragic death. Cromwell wrote that she died due to the fault of them that were about her, which suffered her to take great cold and to eat such things that her fantasies in sickness called for. Well, you're right, cucumbers. Yes, and this isn't a medically sound diagnosis. Uh, one of the most common myths is that Jane died because she had to endure a caesarean section. Oh... So Richard Hounslow claimed that Henry was told by one of Jane's ladies that one of the two must die, and Henry ordered them to save his son, who was to be cut out of his mother's womb. And Nicholas Sanders added to this, claiming that Henry justified this because he could easily provide himself with other wives. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so much to get on with there, but that, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? That's Everyone would understand that. And even now, you can, obviously, straight away, that would be what he would say. You know, like, but the worst, the humanity in the response. Well, it's definitely not true. Oh, right. Are we sure that is so, Henry? It does seem so, Henry. It's why it seems plausible. It's why it's a good myth, because it seems Mm. so likely. But caesarean sections at this time are only performed if the mother was dead or near death. So basically there's no way that Jane Seymour could have had a caesarean section and then lived for another 12 days. Yeah. She would basically would have died there and then. A shot. So the fact, the fact that she's there for another 12 days means it can't have been a caesarean section. Yeah, okay. And besides, Henry couldn't have known the sex of the baby until it was born. Oh, but he'd always say it was a boy regardless, wouldn't he? Uh, so what did happen to Jane then, if it wasn't uh, either of those things? Some suggest a pulmonary embolism, a purpural infection. Jennifer Roach suggests that parts of her placenta were retained in the womb, uh, ultimately resulting in a fatal bleeding. This is something an experienced midwife would have checked as a matter of course, but because Jane was queen, she's treated by royal doctors. Yeah. Uh, so these are distinguished academics, but not necessarily very experienced in delivering babies. You can't beat experience, but Graham. Yeah, so as uh, Jennifer Roach said, a lesser woman might have received better treatment. Mm. Now, Jane's death is obviously a terrible shock. She's she's actually the first English queen to die as queen since Elizabeth of York, Henry's mother, in 1503. Tragically, in almost exactly the same circumstances. Because mm. so obviously Catherine and Anne both are annulled from Henry, so not technically queen when they die. Yeah. Uh, but Jane is queen when she dies, so she receives the full honours of a queen's funeral and indeed is the only one of Henry's six wives to be buried as queen gosh that's telling isn't it Hmm. only one to have died as queen got the first three the next one fine oh yeah the next one (laughs) oh yeah okay 
You're Checks just out. Beheaded, <laughs> died, divorced. Yeah, beheaded, survived. Yeah. Oh no, that must mean. Oh yeah, no, that does work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she is buried as a queen with all the honours that entails. Mary acts as the chief mourner. Mm. The funeral, obviously, Henry as king doesn't attend these things. The entire court remains in formal mourning until the 3rd of February 1538, the following year, while Hall's Chronicle records that Henry mourned and kept himself close and secret a great while. Mm. And when Thomas Cromwell drew up a list of potential candidates for Henry's next wife, pretty much straight away, he found Henry had framed his mind to be indifferent to the thing. And indeed, it's not until 1540 that Henry does actually marry again. How many years is that? Two years later? Wow. Mind you, he's got the boy, hasn't he? So that was the life and consortship of Jane Seymour. We'll be reviewing her after a quick break. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Battleliness! So, bearing the motto, bound to obey and serve, Jane Seymour doesn't seem necessarily the most promising of subjects when it comes to demonstrating agency and independence of action. No. Anne Crawford spoke for many by dismissing Jane as a quiet, unassuming non-entity remembered only for the fact that she bore his legitimate son, while Susanna Lipscomb described her as having little more to her than a cheerful bovine tractability. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh. However, this is to underestimate Jane, a mistake of which contemporaries, as well as historians, uh, are often guilty. Despite her apparent docility, Jane supplants the more uh, charismatic Anne Boleyn and becomes Queen of England. Yeah. I suspect, though, that's more to do with Henry than her. But as we said, you know, she didn't necessarily have to be the one that comes next. It could have been a different set of circumstances. But it is Jane. She is the one. And she does this, ironically, as we said, using Anne's tactics, refusing to be Henry's mistress, but in such a way to increase Henry's ardour. And the turning point, as we said, was when she refused his gift of coins with the letter that she refuses to open. So we've got a little bit more colour for that moment with a description from Shapwee. 
respectfully kissing the letter, she returned it to the messenger without opening it, and then falling on her knees begged the royal messenger to entreat the king in her name to consider that she was a well-born damsel, the daughter of good and honourable parents without blame or reproach of any kind. There was no treasure in this world that she valued as much as her honour, and on no account would she lose it, even if she were to die a thousand deaths. If the king wished to make her a present of money, she requested him to reserve it for such a time as God would be pleased to send her some more advantageous marriage. I was with you right up to that last bit. Um, so if he wants to send me cash, marry me. Marry yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> good. Um, so I was going to ask them before if this was just a girl caught up in things and actually genuinely not wanting to have anything to do with the murdering Henry but it was murdering Anne oh no but I mean he is a murderous chap not wanting oh, anything I to do see, with him yes. but it does seem like it was all to get become queen yes I mean technically I suppose as with Anne you could ask the question is she genuinely trying to protect her honour and at some point you, you can't do it anymore without actively turning him down at which is a bit of a dangerous thing to do but it feels very theatrical doesn't it yeah the kissing there's something that's mentioned in wolf hall cromwell is impressed by that the kiss thinks wow yeah. that's the that was inspired they say in that and indeed it does inflame henry's passions as david starkey notes from this moment jane was henry's wife in waiting yeah crucially it shows that she's much more canny and manipulative than she's usually given credit mm-hmm. and you know perhaps perhaps we are guilty of being played just like henry her submissive motto is perfectly crafted to suit Henry, uh, as is her choice of emblem. She alters her father's overly proud peacock designed for a phoenix, representing renewal through self-sacrifice. So it's, yes, it sounds like, oh, she's just a doormat and very submissive, but it's also good PR. Does she invent it? I mean, it's a bit before William III, but, you know, maybe. I think she might have invented PR. Lauren McKay has suggested that rather than being more docile than Anne, perhaps Jane's just better at reading Henry's mood and adjusting to it, which, yes, isn't particularly revolutionary or breaking barriers, but it's smart and strategic, nevertheless. Mm. Yeah, I think she she definitely has more to her than... Yeah. Did Is there a chance that she knew that was coming, that letter? Possibly, because it's possible that she... Because, as I say, it's not that that's the first time Henry's ever made any kind of move towards her they're probably a couple of months into the flirting so she perhaps knows henry's mind yeah okay well still especially when her dad's getting all those uh bills with the red writing on (laughs) yes we also mentioned we'll go into this in more detail for subjectivity but you know the fact that we have those intercessions for mary and the pilgrimage of grace etc she's also prepared to sometimes say to things to henry that she knows he probably doesn't want to hear but she's willing yeah, I was to surprised by that. speak up on that. So, you know, we have signs of her being strategic and canny, signs of her being a bit more courageous than you might imagine, despite her submissive... There's still, though, if we're going battliness... Yes, and we also have to acknowledge that there is that question mark. We've said, did she really want Henry, or is she just protecting her honour, and then she can't eventually can't say no. There's also the question, does she independently yeah. manipulate Henry, or is she really just a tool for Anne's enemies... Um, so Chapwe reported in April that Nicholas Carew was one who is daily conspiring against Anne and trying to persuade Miss Seymour and her friends to accomplish her ruin. So there's not only him, there's also the Exeters. Cromwell is obviously involved. Jane's brother Edward, all key players in advising Jane how to act with Henry, urging her that she must by no means comply with the king's wishes except by way of marriage. Because mm. they all know that's the way 
to him. And when with Henry, she is instructed to endeavour to poison his mind against Anne, stressing the illegitimacy of his second marriage and Anne's unpopularity in the country, but only to do that when other allies of hers are present so that they can then speak up in support of what she's saying. That's a dangerous thing to suggest, she says. They wouldn't just say, um, yeah. Now that it's in Henry's mind, he's starting to talk about. Okay, right, yeah. Maybe I should never. That was never a proper marriage. It's just starting to help that wound to fester a bit more. (laughs) But the fact is, they're saying, but wait till someone else is there, so that you can say it in an innocent way, and then a man can go, yes, Henry, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So Jane still has her part to play in this, of course. She's got to actually do these things they're advising her to do. But Mm. some historians do just see her as a front for an anti-Blin conspiracy. As Eric Ives, Anne's biographer, put it, Jane was willing to be used to oust Anne, a willing tool whose personality it is more than kind to describe as pliable. Mm. That's after the fact. It's impossible to say, isn't it, how much Mm. this was her. But it seems like she was getting a lot of counselling... But so it just leaves the question that how much room would she have had to manoeuvre if she wasn't up for this? Yeah, because I mean, obviously, Anne will be, would have got advice as well, but it feels yeah. like Anne's a bit more in control of her own yeah. destiny and her own mind. Whereas oh God, yeah. Jane, yes, yeah, she's doing it. She's obviously not completely opposed to the idea, but equally, it doesn't feel like necessarily she's masterminding it. Things like, as I say, not being too led by historical fiction, but things like the kiss, that does feel plausible that that was her. Yeah. And that's a um, good move. But the broader thing, perhaps. Anne Boleyn was like the Ramones, the genuine punks. And <laughs> uh, Seymour is Blink-182. <laughs> the record labels have seen how this works now with Henry. Yeah. This is the pattern. This is the chord structure. Go out, make a silly face. Mm. Or slash kiss the letter. But that's not to say that the chaps have some 41 or whoever it was aren't up for it follow i do so, uh, so how many points do you think blink 182 and some only one deserve for battliness well i think that makes 223 doesn't it <laughs> uh oh, it's not good i mean the only thing was asking about the abbeys from what i can remember she does play her part in becoming queen and supplanting Anne Boleyn. we've got a question mark over to what extent she is completely masterminding that but you know she still does do it. Mm. Two. Yeah, I'm going to give her. Going to give her a three. Maybe a three and a half. There's just a bit of hidden steel there. She no. does do some things. She does some things. You know, she usurps Anne Boleyn and um, speaks up for rebels. I don't know. She speaks up for to rebel- Henry. Yeah, to, yeah, which magnifies any score. Which, given but- that he has just executed his previous wife. Yeah. But I feel like she's the the tip of a spear. I don't know. Does she use up? Anne Anne was sort of on the way down. Uh, yeah, and maybe it's more that she puts like herself at the front of the queue rather than yeah. necessarily creating the queue. Yeah, and there's all these people saying like, "We've got a plan. Who's going to be next? Do you want to be next? Yes, yes. Okay, I will." And that's that's her role. Here's what you have to do. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think that, uh, Susanna Lipscomb is quite fair. And I, I mean, I've probably been a bit unfair. <laughs> I've probably been a bit unfair in taking that quote slightly out of context. I think she's saying, other than like the thing with the gift refusal, yeah. so she's acknowledging that she does do something. Mm. But I suppose actually saying effectively, like outside of this, we don't really have any other evidence of Jane being particularly manipulative, or so it feels a bit more out of character, which perhaps make you 
suggest it feels a bit more like somebody else is probably directing it. It's just because, you know, she's we don't have any record of it. I don't even know when she's born. Mm. So it might well be better than that. Yeah, she was born in a different year. Who knows? A completely different situation. <laughs> but it might be that uh, if we had... She's particularly good at household weaving or whatever it was. Yeah, Because um, she's been chucked out of dance classes for being too obstinate or something. Yeah, because she chinned her dance class teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they do. A two because... And a two... But I presume she assaulted the dance teacher. Okay. I'm saying a three and a half, just because I'm giving her the credit for being involved in the things she's involved with and standing up to Henry a couple of times. Uh, anyway, three and a half and two, five and a half. Battliness. Oh, I'm surprised. I think that's too high. Well, but she does become... She's taking care of business. She does yeah. become queen. Scandal. Well, while often dismissed as plain Jane with her very saintly reputation, we do have some things to talk about here. Anne receives great notoriety for seducing Henry away from Catherine of Aragon, so surely well, yeah. Jane warrants some of the same treatment. Yeah. She does it to Anne. It feels less notable coming straight after Anne Boleyn, but in the broader context of the history of English queens, it is unusual to usurp your predecessor as consort. Yeah, but she was she was going down... Someone had to follow. But Jane Dormer's memoir has Anne blame Henry for her 1336 miscarriage in January because she caught him with Jane, having her on his knee as Queen Anne espied, who then was thought to be with child. She, for anger and disdain, miscarried, as she said, betwitting the king with it, who willed her to pardon him, and he would not displease her in that kind thereafter. Oh, well, that's Anne being punchy again, isn't it? It's Anne being punchy, but also, it's you know, it's, we've got Jane dallying. On Henry's knee. <laughs> now, it has to be uh, acknowledged, Jane Dormer's not actually born until 1538. So after Anne and Jane are both dead. So very much reporting secondhand rather than actually being a witness to these events. But still, and Anne has reacted angrily to Henry taking mistress before. So scenario's not completely implausible. Mm. Also, it doesn't sound like Henry saying, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Not in a sort of like, because I've really done wrong. It's like, I'd just like you to not be cross now, please. Yeah, exactly. I'm king. I sort of um, I sort of could just tell you not to be cross with me. Mm. <laughs> Why are you still cross with me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Cut her head off. Well, indeed. Now, while Catherine of Aragon's final years were miserable after Anne unseats her as queen, the consequences for Anne far more severe because she has her head cut off as you say tr uh, trumped up charges treason and adultery so was jane as david starkey put it an accessory after the fact to the judicial murder of her predecessor no david back in your box uh, the victorian historian agnes strickland depicted jane as a shameless schemer who gave her hand to the regal ruffian before his wife's corpse was cold while in assessing holborn's portrait of jane john guy concluded for all her jewels and the sumptuousness of her gown, Holbein shows us that her mouth is mean, the look on her face blank and expressionless. She appears to us as every bit the queen who climbed over another's corpse to win her place. I just think that's a bit unfair. And although Anne is unpopular, many thought Henry and Jane's public relationship was 
somewhat unseemly whilst Anne was still alive and on trial, Henry tried to maintain some form of decency by having Jane stay with Nicholas Carrow at Beddington near Croydon uh, during the trial, so away from court, but still easy for Henry to reach. Um, But it's obviously not secretive enough, so the only surviving letter we have from Henry to Jane is to warn her of an anonymous ballad made lately of great derision against us. So, in other words, it's the public popular opinion is sort of saying this is all a bit unseemly isn't it well they're probably just sick of it all as you say she could she turned henry down that's trouble she probably was genuinely virtuous and didn't want you know even if someone is saying it's really good if you turn henry down because then he'll really want you i imagine she probably would have turned him down anyway because she didn't really (laughs) want to um (laughs) so she's just in trouble either way yeah, and so we don't know what Jane really thinks about Anne or her downfall, nor do we have any reason to believe she particularly pursued Anne's death or reveled mm. in it, other than, you know, I guess she would have been spending time with Henry, who's telling her of all these terrible crimes she's committed. Yeah. But obviously, you know, Henry, Cromwell, etc., far more culpable in Anne's death yes, than Jane. Yes, 100%. If, it's, the, it's the men doing that, using women, and, it's, and it's, so it feels like it's unsurprising that they get the blame. Hmm. Otherwise, as Queen, her behaviour is completely without blemish. As I say, the only time she really upsets Henry is when she chose to speak up for others, which is hardly scandalous. No, it's really. rather a nice thing. So, a score for scandal. I mean, usurping a Queen, if she did, should be massive. I just, I just can't frame it as a usurpation. It feels odd when it's usurping the Queen entirely with the... Uh, <laughs> support and connivance of the king uh, yeah and the full uh, uh, state process of execution she was just there wrong place or right place at the wrong time right time i guess the question is if she hadn't done such a good job of getting henry smitten with her would cromwell have been able to have brought Anne down quite so effectively or did was that a vital piece of the jigsaw i don't think it was i think he he w- Anne was getting it. You know, they'd already ordered the swordsman and everything. They got the sword, yeah. I don't think if if, if Jane was suddenly to have died the, even two months before, mm. Henry would have said, oh, forget it, I'll stick with this one. <laughs> she was on her way out. Mm. I can't go... I'm really, really struggling to see any scandal here at all. Um, Two. <laughs> I guess it's consistent. You're not entirely convinced by yeah. the arguments, but you accept that there is an argument. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's there are um, there are things there, but I'm not convinced at all of how much she should cop the blame for that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going a two as well on this one. I think it's sort of a similar thing. I, I do the things which happen that she is a part of have to be acknowledged. Low score because I think balance of probability. I think she's just going mm. with the flow of what's happening and she's not directing any of it particularly but nevertheless you know yeah two from you two for me four for scandal again even that seems high <laughs> i just want to give a zero across the board <laughs> i do and that one very important dynasty subjectivity jane revives the traditional queenly role as uh, that of intercessor with the king for clemency so selflessly speaking up on issues that she would have known henry doesn't really want to hear about but which she obviously feels needs saying mm. the most significant and successful of these was on behalf of henry's daughter mary who as we said had been ostracized for the last five years for not submitting to henry even before jane actually gets married 
to Henry, she urges him to restore Mary to the succession. Well, I mean, they've got very, very little to talk about. It's not that they can watch Netflix or anything, <laughs> isn't it? That will come up. You're dating. Not mm. something I've done for an awful long time. Got any kids? You know, that, that will it will be early on. Favourite colour? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I was never very good at it. Well, it comes up because Jane asked, uh, Jane suggested it to him and Henry is not impressed uh, that she's speaking up for Mary at this time and he tells her that she was a fool for doing so and that she should focus on the welfare of her own children, i.e. those that are to be born in the future. Uh, but she persists and she tells him that in soliciting the princess's reinstatement, she thought she was asking for the good, the repose and tranquility of himself, of the children they themselves might have and of the kingdom in general. Oh, that is quite punchy. Now, despite Henry's displeasure, her support for Mary continues as Queen. Shapwee was delighted in his first meeting with Jane that she gave him her word that she would be a friend to Mary. I ended by begging her to take care of the princess's affairs, which she kindly promised to do, saying that she would work in earnest to deserve the honourable name which I had given her of pacificator, that is, preserver and guardian of peace. Yeah, you see, she and she does keep that promise. I think she is genuinely as described a uh, 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 a pious person and that can be considered weak and bovine mm. but you know that's that's who she was and she's carrying that through so when mary was facing the prospect of trial for treason jane writes to her now frustratingly we don't have jane's letter that doesn't survive mm. but, but we do have mary's reply oh, which yeah. suggests that the letter was both supportive and useful to the Queen's grace, my good mother, I have received your most gracious letters, being no less full of motherly joy for my towardness of reconciliation than of most prudent counsel for my further proceeding therein, which your grace of your most abundant goodness promiseth to travail to bring to a perfection as most benignly you have commenced and begun the matter of the same. The inestimable comfort which I have conceived of that most joyful promise, like as I cannot with tongue or pen express." So she's saying thanks very much. She's saying thanks very much for all your advice and for everything you're saying you're going to do to help bring this to a positive conclusion. That is making me feel an awful lot better. And perhaps not coincidentally, just one day after Mary sends Jane this reply, Mary signs the Declaration of Submission to Henry. That's pretty good. As you said, Henry overjoyed. Following month, uh, reunited with Mary at Hackney. Jane is also there. Uh, for that meeting and gives uh, Mary the gift of a diamond ring and as you said they seem to be friendly thereafter Mary isn't yet restored to the succession but the family do seem to be reunited so as you said Mary acted as godmother to Edward at the christening little Elizabeth has the honour of carrying the christen cloth so you know she's helped to patch things up a bit so now he's got a family of two illegitimate daughters and a legitimate son yes her intercessions in religious matters were less successful, but still, I think, do her credit. Almost immediately on becoming queen, she took up the cause of Catesby Priory, which is a house of Cistercian nuns in Northamptonshire, which was so well run that Henry's commissioners had recommended that it be spared, uh, only for Henry to then accuse them of corruption and doubling down on it. Mm. Yeah, that's odd. Like, it wasn't that they were just they were pursuing efficiencies in the NHS. It was that he wanted to close down the establishments. Yeah. That's odd. So with Henry still against them, the prioress then turned to Jane, and she wrote uh, the prioress then wrote to Cromwell, telling her, uh, telling him, that the Queen's grace hath moved the King's Majesty for me, and hath offered His Highness two thousand marks in recompense of that house of Catesby, and hath as yet no perfect answer. It's a bribe. 
well, not exactly a bribe. Jane is not only uh, um, saying that she's interceding with Henry to spare Catesby Priory, she even offers to buy it so that the nuns can still live there. Because if it's Jane's land, then she can kind of do what she wants. So she's saying, look, I think you should let them off. And even if you don't, why don't I just buy the land so you get the money from it and then I'll, I'll just let them do what they want to do in my land. And her bravest intercession, uh, which we also mentioned before, was during the Pilgrimage of Grace, that major uprising in the north seeking to stop the dissolution in the monasteries and reverse Cromwell's religious reforms. Jane, as I said, went down on her knees, urged Henry to save them, pardon those involved, and naturally Henry is absolutely furious. Yeah. <laughs> Telling her to attend to other things, reminding her that the last queen had oh, died dear. in consequence of meddling too much with state affairs. Oh, was that, was that his reason now, is it? Hmm, yes. <laughs> I don't think it was that before. So neither of those uh, intercessions were particularly successful. The rebellion was put down brutally and Catesby Priory uh, is dissolved yeah. within the year. Um, but I think it does show Jane in a positive light and it tells us a lot about her queenship. So Aidan Norrie has argued that she was the last English consort who truly embodied the saint queen medieval ideal. The woman who held her virtue above all else, who continued to intercede on behalf of others, even at her own personal risk, who sought to defend God's church from secular incursions. And by uh, recalling a more traditional type of queenship, Jane is presenting a return to normality after a period of some significant upheaval, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say. Um, it's quite reminiscent of Philip of Hainaut coming after the overthrow of Edward II or Elizabeth of York, Henry's mother after the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, and I think that's what he was, what he needed, what he was after. Uh, well, Henry laps up Shapwee's epithet of uh, peacemaker for mm. Jane, and as I say, it does seem an appropriate one for her tenure, and perhaps for this reason she is very well received. Sir John Russell wrote that she was as gentle a lady as ever I knew, while Cromwell told Bishop Gardiner that she was the very truest lady and the veriest gentlewoman that liveth. She varieth as much from the conditions of the other, I am, as the day varieth from the night. Yeah, that's and the fact that, and the fact that she manages to intercede for Mary and for the pilgrims without a serious breach with Henry suggests that she's perhaps also better adjusted to the role of consort than Anne did. Mm. She's able to say what she thinks, but is able to do so in such a way that doesn't massively Riley. rub him yeah. up the wrong way. Yeah. Well, you know, her meeting with Shapwee shows her holding her own with the seasoned ambassador and again restoring those sorts of relations which weren't possible under Anne. It's a very, it, it is a new start. It is very different. It does all feel like how it's all meant to work. Mm. Mm. This is what a queen is meant to do. And it's a very good foundation for a queenship that you think given time and particularly the fact that she then would have had the security of successfully delivering Henry's son and heir. Yeah. She would have been well set People are happy with her. Everything's going perfectly. Perhaps, you know, uh, Jane Seymour surviving as queen, we could have had a much more tranquil final decade or so of Henry VIII's reign. Oh, yeah. Against her, court life reportedly becomes rather more staid, uh, with the lavish entertainments and gaiety overseen by Anne no longer considered desirable. That's what it needs, though, at the time. Yeah, and again, understandable in the circumstances in which Anne had been brought down. Yeah. Everyone just needs to chill out but it's still a bit dull it's one of those where you think for a year or so this is nice but 10 years in if everything's still really quite dull and austere you think oh, i mean a bit of dancing might be nice yeah ladies were to dress more modestly and specifically not in the french fashion that of course Anne. oh yeah 
had favoured. Uh, one of Lady Lyle's daughters was granted a place in Jane's household by Jane, uh, but Jane disapproved of her French out- outfit, so she accepted that she could wear out her French apparel, but should have an English bonnet or headdress. John Hussey wrote to Lady Lyle, saying, Methought the bonnet became her nothing so well as the French hood, but the Queen's pleasure must be fulfilled. Also, it has to be acknowledged, her queenship is very short, um, and that's not even taking into account the fact that she largely stops her public activities in the summer before she dies. Yeah. So it's a short reign that she didn't really queen for the entirety of it. Mm. And it's dangerous to make conclusions about what another decade would have looked like, perhaps wishful thinking to imagine anyone could have fixed Henry. Yeah. And made everything right. And also, you know, despite the odd insight, we are rather lacking of a real sense of who Jane was, and what we do know of her suggests that she was probably, by default, more of a background figure. And maybe a longer version of Queen Jane would have just been a bit dull, a bit lacking in colour. Again, though, that doesn't matter sometimes. I think that's good. That's what mm. Henry needs, but... This is quite good. The problem is it's so short. Yeah. and But actually, within a very short period of time, she does manage to do quite a bit. You know, Mary is restored, those peaceful relations, you know, she makes those intercessions. Oh, I think it's really good. I mean, I think mm. that, that um, the arguments against are, are that it's a bit dull, which is my arguments for. Like, that's actually what <laughs> yeah. you need after all this. So what do you reckon then, a score for subjectivity? Well, difficult because it's so short. Hmm. But she was prepared to stand up to Henry for the sake of her subjects and stuff. And Four. Five. It feels like quite a high score, but I do think the problem is that it's a lot of it is promise rather than actual delivery. Yeah. Even with a son, you wonder, yeah. would that have been enough or could it all have fallen apart mm. a little bit? And, you know, would she have stayed in the background of religious matters? Would she have pushed a bit more if, if Cromwell keeps moving things? Would there a conflict have developed there? Mm. Is she? Will she then be the front for the Conservative plotting against Cromwell and Cranmer? Would she have just been everything's good and normal, or would she have ended up being part of the chaos that comes afterwards in mm. a different way? So I still think it's good, though. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her six and a half. I oh. think it's. I think it's good subjectivity. Oh, okay. I think she does a good job here. So what is that? That's 11 and a half. 11 and a half. That is good. Longevity. Jane is Queen Consort from the 30th of May 1536 to the 24th of October 1537, which makes for 1.42 years and a score of two. That's got to be amongst the worst, isn't it? Yes, 52nd best, if best is the word. Fourth best among the six wives, so she does outlast two of Henry's wives. (laughs) Other wives. Dynasty, not the program. Well, Jane does have one surviving child by Henry, the future Edward VI, which just like uh, Catherine and just like Anne, gives her a score of 7.5, joint 33rd overall. Well done. So overall, that gives Jane Seymour a score of 30.5. And what's that overall? That places her in 26th place of the 40 that we've now reviewed. Not high, but not bad. Given that she's there for a very short time and no one thinks very much of her or pays her much attention. Yeah. It is a score. (laughs) but it's not all about the score does she have that certain something that lasting legacy the great achievement and star quality that we call Rex Factor I can't in all good conscience well I mean you've got to take Henry VIII on here because you know she's his favourite queen 
Yeah, but I don't trust Henry's judgment in anything. I can understand why she's his favourite. Um, Gives him the son. You know, yeah. she's the one that he chooses to be buried with. She's the one that's included in the family portraits, even when he's married to other yeah. people. Um, and, you know, you could argue she does give him everything he wants from a queen, not just the son, but actually the manner of the rule and that sort of thing. Yeah, but it's it's star quality, isn't it? She's one of the six wives of Henry VIII. That should be an automatic uh, back of the net. She doesn't have that, um, be it, it might well be nonsense, uh, but at least to have some nonsense attached to her. And, yeah, and it's we're, we're looking for that certain something, the star quality, and she's almost specifically gone yeah. out of her way not to have that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whether or not she possessed it but chose not to show it. And I think if you're that sort, it's possible for that sort of concert to get the re- consort to get the Rex Factor. But when that happens, you need to be there, either need to be there for a long time. Yeah. Or circumstances need to provide you with such an opportunity that those dull, stable, stabilising qualities allow you to make a massive benefit Impact, to the country. Yeah. So let's say Henry had died and she'd been regent and yeah, ruled exactly. the country really well for 15 years. Yeah, really then well it, and really dully. Um, yeah. And, she, and I would have liked that and it would have been great. Not enough there, is there? And uh, I have to agree, it's not enough there. It's a no for Jane Seymour, she doesn't have the Rex Factor. I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. And you could argue as well that, you know, for all the successes, it's only really by dying and exactly the moment she dies that she's able to get put on such a pedestal for yeah. Henry. And probably unlikely that she or anyone could have lived up to that pedestal yeah. had she lived. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's like um, John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix or any other 60s star who died at 27. Uh, not like John Lennon. Not like John Lennon. Uh, Mama Cass? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Thank you. Exactly. You're you, preserved. At, at that moment. And yeah. you can't then go on and, and ruin it through some dodgy 80s albums. Correspondence Corner. So that was Jane Seymour. Let us know what you thought about her. We'll do a writer reply episode for all the six wives, but equally we enjoy getting your messages however many years later you may be listening. So find us a message us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And remember to send in your hashtag consort cards for an episode image of uh, Jane Seymour. And uh, for any of the six wives, if we get your consult cards you're in with a chance of winning a Rex Factor Henry VIII figurine if you'd like to support the podcast you can leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use donate monthly to join the Privy Council and get access to over 150 bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor and we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold Tarina Brew Thomas Betk Hannah Haig Jen Wright Hilda Andreessen Ladyhawk013 James Spiller, Simon O'Rourke, Emily Brown, Stephen Peters, Roman Mayer, Michelle Coles, Lisa Neal, John Rent, Emily McMahon, Will Donovan, Met Freeze, Shadow Marie, Randy, Chloe, Mr. Jack Pascoe, Brianne Dillon, Kaylee Priest, James Samuel Lavender, and Alison Danes. Arise, welcome one and all, thank you very much. You make this possible so that is all for us today and for jane seymour next time we will be moving on to wife number four anne of cleves oh i know all about this one graham we shall see you next time bye